The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Fast casual has become a new way of eating in recent decades. Much the way fast food transformed dining, places like Chipotle, Shake Shack, and Panera have changed expectations on what we expect from a quick meal. The restaurants draw big crowds, and their stocks have been big hits. But restaurants are no easy business, and no one's learned that lesson better than Chipotle. I'm Alex Yule. Welcome to The Readback. On this week's podcast, we're joined by David Marino-Natchison, who just finished a great column about Chipotle in the latest issue of Barron's. Hey, David. Hi there, Alex. Chipotle all but created a new category of restaurants. They seemed unstoppable until a few years ago. So remind us what happened. Well, like you said, Chipotle really has been a phenomenon and essentially created and mass-marketed this category of quick-service dining for many customers. And they were really just sort of running along almost unstoppably until earlier in this decade when a bunch of people started getting sick when they were eating there. This morning, Chipotle is keeping dozens of its restaurants in the Pacific Northwest closed after an E. coli outbreak. There are 22 reported cases, 19 in Washington state and three in Oregon. That's not a good thing for a restaurant. It's not. And it really became sort of national news. This morning, fast food chain Chipotle is at the center of another E. coli outbreak. The CDC is investigating a second outbreak of the virus affecting customers in three states. E. coli and norovirus concerns and actual incidents had people basically terrified to eat there and really decimated their business across the country. You know, we went back and looked at the transcript to one of their uh, conference calls, uh, quarterly calls from 2017, and we found former CEO Steve Ells uh, using the words food safety 20 times. That's a lot of times to have to bring up food safety in a conference call. Not something you want to hear from your restaurant CEO, right? Probably never. How did the stock react to all of this? It completely crashed and lost a ton of value in an extremely short time. And I can speak personally. I mean, I love Chipotle. I still go. But there was a good several-year period there where, where, I, where I did not go. And, and it sounds like from what we've seen about the stock and the financials, plenty of other people had the same takeaway. You could see it even downstairs from our headquarters. There's a very popular Chipotle right across the street. When I started here in 2013, the lines were extremely long. They ran almost to the door throughout the lunch hours. And then for a time, there weren't any lines. And now those lines are back. This year, Chipotle shares have been incredibly hot. They're up more than 70% uh, in 2019. And recently, they set new all-time highs. Give us a sense of just how long Chipotle has been at this project. They've been around a long time. Uh, Steve Ells, their founder and former CEO, opened the first one in uh, 1993. And they sort of took off from there with a lot of their uh, early growth funded by a big investment from McDonald's. The, uh, the company went public in 2006. And from that point up until 2015, when the food safety issues hit, it was basically uh, straight up. The stock just almost never fell. When you walk into a Chipotle, it, it's obvious very quickly that it's different than a fast food company. The stores look different. They even smell different. Give us a sense of sort of what Chipotle's mission is and what they really brought that was different from everything else. 
Well, it, it feels like something we almost take for granted now because when they were starting and when they were growing, this notion of fresh, made-to-order, sort of sustainable food that didn't require you to spend a lot of money and sit down in a restaurant was a new and surprising thing. You know, you can go in there, that thing you can see the food being cooked in front of you, that it's hot, that it's being put together right in front of your eyes. And even with a relatively limited menu and not that many choices, that really captured the imagination of a lot of people, particularly when you can get in and out of there for about $10. That's really been built into the company's brand. I mean, a lot of their television campaigns, particularly in years past, have been uh, sort of very earnest statements about processed foods and about sort of corporate restaurants and, and why they're different. And it seems like that's probably part of the reason this food safety thing stung so much. And I think for some people, probably there was some evil glee in seeing them sort of fall down on that score. What ultimately turned things around for Chipotle? I mean, it seems like the biggest thing is that time passed, that people, that consumers moved on and decided to start trusting the brand and start trusting the food again. When you go into the restaurants now, you see the lines. You see people once again, like, waiting patiently to get their meals, when in the past there may have been comparatively few people waiting there at all. Uh, you can see it in their numbers. They report uh, an increase in visits, and they report that they've been able to raise prices, which seems pretty significant, that they can ask for more money after what they've been through for largely the the same food. And the founder of the company, I think Steve Ells founded it in 1993, he didn't quite survive this incident, did he? He did not. They hired Brian Nickel, who was the CEO of Taco Bell in 2018. And Ells is still on as chairman, but obviously he had been running that company for a long time. And Taco Bell, not quite what you think <laughs> of when you want to go for a meal at Chipotle, right? I mean, they're, they're sort of in a different group of Mexican cuisine. Absolutely. They clearly they had cast themselves to be two completely different types of businesses. It's the guac smasher. <laughs> the guac smasher. Uh, I always joked as man, working at Chipotle definitely gave me some muscles. <laughs> Chipotle, this sort of place built around kind of this notion of freshness and made to order. I mean, I worked at a sandwich shop before and the guacamole came in a bag in a freezer and who knows what was in it. You know what's in all of this food. Yes. And Taco Bell kind of a bit zanier in some ways almost with, with, with interesting and unexpected dishes. Wake up to the power of the dollar at Taco Bell where you can get stacks of fluffy eggs and melty cheese for just a dollar. And uh, Locos Tacos... It's a taco supreme in a shell made of real nacho cheese Doritos. If you're still thinking about trying it, you're overthinking it. The Just kind of a more sort of cheap, fast, and fun sort of brand. So that may have raised some eyebrows, certainly, when Nickel was hired. Yeah, I mean, I remember thinking, wow, they're going to take Dorito spread and, and spread it around their uh, Chipotle burritos. It's not quite what's happened. How have things worked out since Nickel came aboard? That's absolutely, you're right. That's not what's happened. The menu is largely the same, almost entirely the same. They've made some tweaks around the edges. They've added some drinks. They've experimented with bringing back some proteins and limited time offers. But largely, the, if you eat there now, you're eating at largely the same restaurant you would have eaten at a few years ago. If there's one word that sort of jumps out to me from watching what they've been doing, it's been sort of a very visible discipline that Brian Nickel and his team have brought to the company in terms of how they go about almost everything they've done. They have relaunched a loyalty program. They have pushed forward with online delivery ordering. 
They have redesigned many, many, many restaurants uh, in order to make it easier for people to pick up things that they order digitally. And every time they do this, the company sort of works through this very measured process of testing and retesting and testing and retesting before they push ahead too aggressively with any new initiative. One thing that you mentioned that I found so interesting is this tasting event you went to about a year ago where the company showed off things like nachos and quesadillas. It kind of struck me in your telling of this that Chipotle doesn't have nachos. That's kind of crazy. How does that work? How does, how does a place like Chipotle survive and even thrive without, without nachos? <laughs> how can any of us survive and thrive without nachos? It's tough. And you're right. I mean, you think, how is it possible that a place like Chipotle not serve nachos? They already have everything in the store. You could easily just take a pile of chips, throw all of their ingredients on top of them, and you've got what I would assume would be a pretty tasty dish of nachos. And in hot fact, seller. a hot seller. How yeah. could it not be? But as they've gone through their process of testing dishes, they've realized that they couldn't really make nachos in a way that customers wanted them. When they started testing a nacho offering, they used their queso sauce and thought people would be perfectly happy just piling queso and their ingredients on top of some chips. Uh, and what they learned uh, from customers was that those aren't nachos. Huh. Uh, those are chips with sauce on top of them. <laughs> and they wanted shredded cheese that was melted on top of their ingredients. And Chipotle has no way to do that in their stores right now. Right. So explain that to us. I mean, when you go to Chipotle, how does the system kind of work? It's effectively an assembly line. I mean, it's not, it is an assembly line. You, you go in, you tell them what you want, they move your bowl down the line, and they have an amount of time that they think they can get you in and out. That doesn't involve things like ovens. There's, you know, there's no way to take your food out of the line, put it, uh, you know, put it in an oven and melt some cheese, and certainly not in high output at a very busy lunch hour in the middle of midtown Manhattan. So... If that's what you want, they don't really have a way to do it for you. It's an, an unrelated or perhaps somehow related experiment. They are trying to make uh, quesadillas, which seems like another natural dish for them, but which also has sort of workflow issues because you need a quesadilla to be melty and crisp, and they don't really have a way to do that either. So they are currently testing ovens that might be useful for that purpose, and potentially down the line, those same ovens could be used to melt cheese on top of nachos. The kind of ovens they use at Subway and Starbucks. Exactly. And, right. So where you can cook something, make it very hot in a very, very short period of time that ideally doesn't mess up the flow of the restaurant. So everyone loves burritos. Everyone loves tacos. I mean, could Chipotle just keep this same menu and, and keep growing? It's possible that it that, that is all they need to do. When uh, I spoke to their chief marketing officer not too long ago about this, and he said that when they ask customers what they want, the quote he gave me was, innovative twists on the familiar. And so the way they're doing things like that now is maybe by adding a new protein, adding a different type of steak, or promoting for a limited time a burrito bowl that's just like the one Rose Lavelle from the, from the World Cup winning soccer team orders. So those are things that they can use to drive excitement, some interest, some people in the door, but they don't require kind of an overhaul of their restaurant over, or an overhaul of the way they work uh, to, make them, uh, to make them happen. And they don't need nachos. And they don't need nachos. But we may yet get them. So the lines are back. How has this all worked out for investors? It's worked out incredibly well. In a very rough terms, the share price lost about two-thirds of its value from its highs in 2015 to its lows in the few years that followed. They've roughly tripled and gotten back all of that value as of last week. So that's a lot of return in a very short time. And that's that's happened on the back of some strong store-level performance and some same restaurant sales numbers that have been powerful and more powerful than many of its rivals or its, uh, its comparables. 
And they've used this kind of whole experience, it seems like, as a way to step back a little bit, right, and, and reevaluate what's important, not just in the menu. But uh, they're also not opening as many stores anymore. Is that right? Well, you know, one of the things they get asked about is how quickly can you uh, can you expand? They aren't huge overseas, although they are they are working toward that, and they believe they still have lots of room to grow in the U.S. But they aren't uh, expanding at what I would call a breakneck pace. Uh, some investors might like to see it happen even faster, and if and if they did, perhaps profits would grow more quickly than they have. But it looks at this point like management believes there's still a lot of work to be done just in stabilizing and growing the power of the operations they do have and that they think that can still grow profits without rapid rapid store expansion. Thanks, David. Thank you, Alex. You can read David's latest column about Chipotle in this week's edition of Barron's and all of his reporting about Chipotle on barron's.com. I'm Alex Ewell. The Readback is produced by Meta Lutzhoff. We'll be back next Wednesday.